Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anna, uh, for that reading. Uh, and also, thanks for the opportunity to uh, be with you uh, here um, at the chapel. It's, it's been a great weekend. Really love being here and meeting, uh, meeting you all. And uh, it's kind of pr- we had precious times during the training bit. We, those of you who weren't here, we did a tr- a tra- three training seminars, Friday night and then Saturday to Saturday morning. Um, on on a, basically a sharing your faith, and then last night this this uh, after dinner, uh, or this kind of dinner event, the supper event. Um, uh, what's your second name, you guys? Glue. Glue. I know. That'll stick. Yeah. Uh, the Glue's house. <laughs> Sorry. Um, have you heard that one before? No, never, never, absolutely. Not. Joe and Rob's house. Yeah. So yes, at the Glue's house. And uh, who was there last night for that? Quite a few, a few of you. And um, if you do hear about anyone, I didn't, I didn't ask people to make themselves known, but if, anyone, if you hear anyone who prayed to receive Christ, do encourage them to, uh, well, presumably if you know, they've told, told you, but obviously to, to get incorporated into the church because um, John Wesley, a famous uh, evangelist from the 18th century, said there's no such thing as solitary Christianity, and that's, that's true. Um, there's no such thing as go it alone Christianity. We need uh, one another. And uh, so anyway, it's good to be here. And one of my favourite Wesley quotes is, uh, uh, he said of his own preaching, uh, uh, he, said, he said this, he said, I set myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. Isn't that great? I love that one. And uh, so I just pray, so Father set me on fire uh, as I preach, set us on fire uh, as we listen. Lord, we don't want church as we know it or a sermon as we know it. We want encounter with you, the living God, in a way that we might be changed, uh, we pray. And uh, we're thinking yesterday about church and we meet together now as church uh, on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Day here in the chapel. And we were thinking yesterday, uh, Father, about uh, uh, the meeting place being the equipping place for the marketplace. So, Father, as we meet together now, equip us, Lord, as we uh, reflect, think about your word, as we worship, um, as we talk to one another for, uh, over, over a coffee after the service, even as we've done before. Equip us, we pray, for the, mar- for the marketplace, for the world, uh, wherever, wherever you call us, whatever you call us to. Um, pray for Simon, Lord, as he goes out tonight, stepping out in faith, out of the comfort zone. We were thinking yesterday into the kingdom zone. And may that be true for him tonight, Lord, as he, as he does this kind of pub apologetics type thing. And even though people won't even know that word, it doesn't matter. He's there um, defending your faith and representing you in that place, invading secular space, uh, which isn't even secular. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So we commit ourselves uh, to you uh, now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great. So I, I said that um, we had training events for the past uh, few few days, uh, so we were thinking uh, the, f- the first. Well, see, let's see how many of you were uh, attentive. Obviously, if, if you weren't there, you let off the hook. Don't worry. So what was the first session on Friday night called? Anyone? <laughs> Minister. <laughs> witnesses. It basically, called. It's called basically called to be witnesses that were witnesses to Christ, witnesses to the resurrection. Then yesterday morning, it was first thing was <laughs> yes. Called to be a sporadic nipple. Yes. No, that, so those, I'm not being rude, honestly, that's my, you were, if you weren't there, you obviously won't get it. Basically, there was, um, what's it called, autocorrect? 
on my on my notes it says called to be a sporadic nipper, but it's supposed to be called to be an apostolic people, and it got it wrong. So I'm not honestly, honestly, God, not me. <laughs> Don't blame me. Anyway, sorry. Called to be an apostolic people. That's right. Autocorrect was wrong. Um, and uh, about how we're the sent people of God. Apostolos, the Greek word for sent. We are the sent people of God. And so we were, I was throwing out a few tips about how we can do that. How we can live as those who are sent by God into the world. And the final session was... People of power. Yeah, we had a bit of a truncated session there because we had an extended Q&A. But we're thinking about... People of power. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of mission. Jesus said, you know, I'll, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be my witnesses. There's this inextricable link in Scripture between, um, between the spirit and mission. And mission, by the way, uh, is, is to be sent. It's from the Latin word missioninimus, uh, which means act of sending. So mission is the Latin version of the Greek word apostolos. It's the same, same thing as the, of the same linguistic etymological root. So um, we're, we're thinking about um, being empowered by God, by God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, last night, as we uh, it was kind of after dinner talkie type thing, um, and uh, today I said it was an exposition. So uh, we're, we're thinking particularly about one of the two key passages that have been the narratives, if you like, the scriptural narrative for the weekend. Annie's just read it for us. It's from Matthew 28. If you've got your Bibles, either on your phone or in hard copy, so last century. Um, just open it, open it up. It's um, Matthew 28, verse 16. So we're just thinking about these last um, five verses, these, these five verses, which, which are at the end of Matthew 28, Matthew's gospel. And they're called, in many Bibles, in the Bible that I've got here, the NIV, it's called the Great uh, Commission. And so um, the title of today's talk is called, uh, how, do we, um, how Do We Make... Um, the great um, um, omission, the great commission, because the title in the Bible is the great commission. Did I get that right or did I get it wrong? Right? Yeah, I thought I got my omission and commission wrong. Should have been heretical, but it, was, it would only have been an accident, so that's fine. Heresy by accident doesn't count. Um, so the, the great uh, commission, it's called. You were commissioned by Christ to be his ambassadors in the world. But the modern church has made it the great omission. It's the, it's the great left undone. The, things that, the thing that we don't do. Do you know, I talk to, I'm an Anglican um, vicar. And most vicars I know have, have never led anyone to Christ. They've never led anyone to Christ. Now, to be fair, we might say, well, they're pastor teachers. You know, they're not, they've not got the gift of the evangelist, which I, I have. Um, most vicars are pastor teachers. But, you know, we, we can all point people to Jesus Christ of course, we're all called to be witnesses. And if you take your salary for, you know, turning your collar back to fr- front and getting revved up, um, one would hope you might, you know, at some, st- some stage of 10, 20, 30 years, you might have been instrumental in some way of leading someone to Christ. We're, we all get to play. This is the thing. We all get to play. Not all, I said, saying yesterday, we're not all evangelists. And I don't want to guilt trip anyone um, into thinking, oh, I've got to do evangelism. I've got to do evangelism. Because it doesn't work. Uh, we don't have to do evangelism. We get to do evangelism. Even that word evangelism sounds so clinical, doesn't it? We get to share Jesus. We don't have to share Jesus. We get to share uh, Jesus. And uh, so, so the Great Commission has become the great omission in the church. It's the, it's the great undone. It's the, it's the thing that's been left undone. Why are Christians so keen to do other things that Jesus told us to do? Like do this in remembrance of me. I know so many vicars who are kind of Eucharistic junkies. Um, sorry, I don't mean to be uh, irreverent here. 
Um, but what I mean is, I'm not, I mean, basically, they just think, you know, you've got to have communion, every, every drop of the hat. This is the, some of the high church people. This is being recorded, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I uh, may not have a job in the Church of England very long. Please don't get me wrong. I love communion. I love... See, this is what I have to do. I say something controversial. Then I have to backpedal and then undo, undo it. I love Holy Communion. I really do. I love, I love uh, Holy, uh, Holy Communion. Uh, it's extremely significant. So, but what I mean by Eucharistic junkies is some... some because it's, it's like, you know, you've got to have it with... Every time you meet, it's got to be communion. And you know, they're not doing the Great Commission. They're doing this in remembrance of me, which is great. Um, to break bread and share wine, isn't it? But why aren't they doing go into all the world and preach the gospel? Why not that bit? So um, we're called to, to be bearers of his good news. Each one of us were called to be bearers of his good news. And basically, um, um, God empowers us to do that. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit. So we're thinking then anyway about three things, uh, three, three points from these five verses uh, from Matthew chapter 28. And the first one, is this finishing well, finishing well? Uh, do you know I'm? I chatted to uh, someone who was um, a, a kind of fallen away Christian a few years ago, and this guy wasn't going to church anymore. He still believed in God, um, but he 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 basically I don't know what quite had happened, but he there'd obviously been a time that he was a very keen Christian and he was leading people to Christ and he was involved within the mission of the church and he was connected to the church and now he wasn't he was a bit disillusioned he said he was still a believer he was still praying he still believed in God but he was he was he'd, he'd become a free-range disciple that's a, fr- a friend of ours is uh, uh, an evangelist who doesn't go to church anymore uh, who calls himself a free-range disciple and, and I say that's great for chickens but not for Christians we're not called to be free-range disciples uh, there's no such thing as solitary Christianity um, said Wesley so we're called to to be part of the collective, which, uh, which the, Bible calls, the Bible calls the church. Anyway, this man, it was interesting, when he was reflecting to me about his life, he said, well, I started well. He said, you know, back, in, back you know, 20 years ago, I started well and I did, did all this and this and this. And he said, that's the main thing, isn't it? That's what he said, that's the main thing. And I thought, well, should I say something? Should I not? Because it, uh, he'd actually got it wrong. Um, you see, it's the second half that counts. A good beginning doesn't guarantee a, a good ending. If you're going to uh, have a good start or a good end, if it's a choice between a good start or a good end, have a good ending. You know, um, you know mess up to start. Well, I'm not saying you should mess up. But if, you, if, you, if you're going to choose one, uh, have a good ending. Come into land well. Um, that's the most important thing. I fly, I fly all the time. You know, the, the landing, you know, there's no point, is it, if, if, uh, if, if, it, if you know, the plane comes in and crashes on landing. Sorry if any of you are aviophobic here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all writhing around half dead in the, in the, in the wreckage. And somebody says, oh, well, we had a good flight, didn't we? We took off all right. So, um, a, a, good, a good ending is the most important thing. So if any of you are slightly aviophobic, and it's, sorry about that, Prime Ministry afterwards, we've got... Um, <laughs> I've got the anointing on. Out of interest, it's an interesting one. I fly all the time. This is just an aside. Uh, Annie, I used to be scared of flying. I used to be really scared of flying. So much so, when I went on my honeymoon, which was 21 years ago to your, with your mother. Obviously, you weren't around. Oh, obviously. What? Sorry? Well, I, well, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, when I went on honeymoon uh, 20, 21 years ago, I, I said, I don't want any... I want this to be perfect holiday. So we, we, we didn't fly, and because... So what we did is we got the boat over to Spain and uh, we did a road trip. Big mistake, anyway, that's another story. But we did a road trip. 
for our honeymoon. Big mistake. Went to Barcelona. And um, uh, that was great. That was great going to Barcelona. But the reason why, I thought to myself, ah, I won't fly because it will just it kind of slightly ruin the honeymoon. The reason it slightly ruined the honeymoon is I used to have, it wasn't, it never stopped me from flying. That's the only time I think I didn't fly because of my fear of flying. But um, I, uh, what I used to do is get anxiety. That, and any of you, if you've, got, if you've got aviophobia, as it's officially called, you'll, you'll know what it is. I used to get sort of anxiety the night before. So I'd lay, aw- I'd lay awake the night before. And uh, then I'd go on holiday. And if, suppose it was a week holiday. It would ruin the last day because I'd get this. Uh, thankfully, I enjoyed the holiday. But then on the last day, I'd be thinking, oh, I've got to go fly tomorrow. And then when I finished a flight, I'd think, um, uh, oh, thank goodness, it's not six months until I, until I have to go in the air again. So it was that kind of level. So, uh, you know... And, and uh, but basically, I fly, I fly all, the t- all the time now, so it's, it's a good job I got over it, isn't it? And I got over it through prayer. I actually was slightly embarrassed, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm a Christian. I'm a man of God. Why, am I, why on earth am I? You know, Jesus says, um, you know, perfect love casts out fear. So uh, I, anyway, but I, so basically what I did is I, f- I found the door. I don't know. This wasn't in the sermon notes. Maybe this is for someone here. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, I, I basically did a little bit of research about fear. And what I found out is, 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 is fear has a, often has a doorway. Often children, as our kids were, were fearless. So Annie was fearless uh, when she was a girl. She really was. And I used to take... I'm a theme park junkie. Uh, not a Eucharistic junkie, but a theme park junkie. And I used to take Annie to theme parks. And she'd go on anything. And then one went, once when you were six... Do you remember what happened? Yeah, I took her on the log flume at Alton Towers. And she went, oh! she started crying and uh, and from then on uh, basically fear entered her and she's been scared of and you're still a bit scared aren't you, you when we go to fairground you say don't daddy don't take me I'm not going on those big rides so anyway so I've damaged my child uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that but so that there's an entry there's an entry point anyway and I remember I realized that I never used to be scared of flying but when I was a, a theological college student age 23 I was in some really bad turbulence I've been in bad turbulence maybe three times in my life. This was this, the kind of plane sort of fell out of the air somewhere, somewhere going near America. And the whole plane went, ah, everybody screamed and, uh, you know, there's, anyway, all this stuff. And uh, I, I, I got pretty scared. And from then on, I was, I was scared. For, see, there was an entry point, you see. So f- fear had got in. And uh, so anyway, so uh, I, I, I found that out through a bit of psychology. And then so I, I basically then prayed about it. And I, I asked the, the Holy Spirit to come in and set me free. And now I love turbulence. I actually no, I honestly do. <laughs> I honestly, I enjoy a bit of turbulence because I think it's a bit like the Big Dipper at Black Before. It's really good. And so much so, uh, let me say this. This, I'm not, this is not in the notes. Right. What, what, what happened is I remember when I was going to Budapest uh, a few months ago, Budapest, Hungary, to, to do a thing for IFES, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. On the aeroplane, um, I, I, said, I said the other day, didn't I, that I sometimes wear this to witness. Do you remember this uh, ring of confidence? Ding. Uh, I wear it to to uh, to, 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 to witness. And, uh, sorry, I can't get it in in the uh, the thing. And um, basically, what I did is I got on the airplane going to Budapest, Hungary. It said like a true American, Budapest, Hungary. And uh, uh, I, I basically I wore a clerical collar, and I had a cross as well. Pretty pretty. Ch- I had a little pectoral little pectoral cross, and I took a photograph of me like a self a selfie like this. Uh, and I sent it to the family. And do you remember what it said? No, it said, I said it sent it to Tammy and the girls. Uh, it was like a selfie of me. And it said, pray for the poor, unsuspecting person sat next to me. That's what it was. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, because I, I like, you know, aeroplanes are great. Barbers and aeroplanes are great places to witness. Led lots of people to Jesus on aeroplanes and in barbers. <laughs> Barber shops. Uh, anyway, but the, the, the woman next to me, it turns out her name was Boggy. Boggy is a very common name in Budapest, Boggy. 
And, um, and she basically, uh, I don't know whether it was because she saw the dog collar, I hope not, but she basically, um, as the flight took off, she put her COVID mask on, which was optional, so she had her COVID mask on. Uh, and then she uh, had earmuffs, the pro- you know, not earmuffs, but the, uh, this, what are they called? Yeah, earphones, that's, that's it. Yeah, earphones, she had earphones, the big earphones, like this. And she had a, 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 a mouth too, so she was like, she was like this on the aeroplane. So I thought, right, I'm not going to be much through here, do you know what I mean? It was just, so it was like she was wearing a burqa or something, not quite a burqa, but uh, we delete that from the tape, delete that from the tape. But she, was, she had the earphones on, she had the mask on, she, anyway, so I thought, well, forget that. So anyway, so I basically did a bit of reading and a praying or whatever. And then as the flight, you know, we got to cruising altitude, whatever, 35,000 feet, the steward lady came down uh, serving coffee and teas down the central aisle. Uh, Would you like any? And of course, Boggy didn't know that was her name. She took off her earphones, she took off her face mask, uh, and she took off her eye mask. So I turned to her and I went, hello, like that, hello, hello, like this. And she went, hello, hello, in a Eastern, nice Eastern European way. And um, so, you know, we, do, we, do, we had the little chat over coffee then, and she clearly wanted to talk. Now, I said yesterday, didn't I, 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 I witnessed to the point of resistance. So if, if in any way, I th- honestly, if any way I thought, you know, she's th- she was thinking, flip, I don't want to speak to this guy who is this Bible basher or anything, I'd have stopped. I would have stopped. But she genuinely was interested. Anyway, it turns out Boggy uh, is going back to visit her parents in Budapest. She's Hungarian. But she now lives in England with her boyfriend and she's doing a PhD. Her boyfriend, I uh, can't remember what he was doing. And uh, basically, she, she, of course, then said to me, what are you doing in Budapest? So I said, oh, I'm going to give a talk. I'm, I'm a, you know, a lecturer and... Uh, and I said, I'm a, I'm a priest. Uh, I, I, I said that, again, terminology that's correct for, for Anglicanism, but she, Budapest is very Catholic, so she'd, she'd kind of get that. So I'm an Anglican, Anglican Church of England priest. And, um, and uh, so, so basically, um, we got talking, and, the, and the, the conversation got on to the gospel. So we, we did get talking about, about, about the gospel. But then we hit some turbulence, and it was, this is, do you remember I said I've been in turbulence three times, probably bad turbulence three times in my life. Um, this was probably the third worst turbulence. The second was with you. Um, that was when we, we, were in, we went to Rome. This, this was uh, a couple of summers ago. And we got caught in an electric storm. So there was lightning outside the plane. You could see the lightning. The plane was going all over the place. P- uh, remember people screaming? And you, you, you mind, do you mind me saying this? And, t- uh, uh, and Annie said, Daddy, are we going to die? Do you remember? Oh. And I said, no, we're not, darling. Didn't know we're not, darling. I thought, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but I said, no, we're not, darling. <laughs> Anyway, but uh, we didn't. We lived. We lived to tell tale. Anyway, this, that was probably the second. This was probably the third. Was, anyway, so basically the turbulence hit. Um, this is, is a, a totally different talk. From the, um, the turbulence hit. We're finishing at 12. Is that right? Yeah, okay, fine. Um, maybe God had other ideas. But uh, I don't know whether this is better or worse than the talk that was in here. But there we go. Uh, just go with the flow. And... Um, so, so the, there was pretty bad turbulence, and the plane was, it was like shaking, you know, that shaking turbulence, and it was going up and down. She clearly, Boggy was clearly distracted, and, um, and it was pretty bad turbulence, because I heard a person behind me said, look at the air hostesses, if they're scared, get scared. You know, that was, that was the advice, and if they're scared, if they're scared, get, you know, they, get, they get scared. They didn't look scared to me. And... Um, uh, anyway, and I, I, I said, uh, uh, are you okay? Because she clearly, she, she was totally distracted and she was, looked very scared. All of a sudden, she looked very scared. Doctor, almost Dr. Boggy. And, uh, and she said, oh, I'm scared of flying. She said, she said, I'm very scared of flying. She said, I hate flying. I try and avoid it when I can. She said, uh, you know, I get anxiety the night before. It, oh, da, da, da. You know, this, so if, any, if, you, if any of you have got it, you'll, you'll, know, you'll know what this is. And, um, 
And she, she said, uh, you know, this is, this is the worst I've been in. I don't know whether it was or not, but she thought this was the worst that she'd been in. And so I, I said, oh, um, I said, I, used, I, I gave a testimony. We're talking about the power of testimony last night. And do you remember we said yesterday, I quoted a verse in the book of Revelation, where it said, uh, testimony is the spirit of prophecy. It's a very odd verse in the book of Revelation. And what happens is when we give a testimony, we tell a God story, what we're saying is, do it again, Lord. We're re- faith rises. If people, you know, either, either the person who's saying is a liar. If you assume that I'm not a liar, then faith rises. And, it, and, and it, it almost gives God permission to do it again. And this is, by the way, why testimony, I think, was part of the warp and weave of the Jewish culture. So the Jewish people, when they were nomads, remember, they were 40 years in the wilderness. What they did, they told faith stories. He is good. He is Yahweh. Yahweh. He is good. And his love endures forever. Uh, he, he rescued us from the waters of the, uh, of the, of the Red, Red Sea. Horse and rider fell into the sea. That's the Egyptians. The Egyptians were killed, but we were delivered. So they, they told stories, which were miraculous testimony stories, to inculcate faith in the people of God. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a faith lift. And uh, we, all need a, we all need a faith lift, don't we? Because the world of flesh and the devil does its worst. And thank you for smiling at that joke. You're the only one. And... Um, <laughs> I don't know your name, but your faith is familiar. And uh, um, so you know, we all need a, we all need a, a, a lift because the world of flesh and the devil does its does its worst. Anyway, so uh, so I said so I said to Boggy back on the airplane, thirty five thousand feet, going to Budapest. I said to her, I used to be scared of flying. And she said, Did you? And I said, Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she said, You're not now. And I said, No, no, not not anymore. I said, You know, I said I was, I was quite I wasn't remotely bothered by this turbulence. And. Uh, and then she said, well, what, how did you cure it, you see? So I, she, was, this was, she was more interested in this, this, this than, the, than the gospel. I mean, she wasn't disinterested in the gospel bit. But, you know, she was, you know, maybe politely interested. But she, you know, da, da, da. But she was really interested now because she had a problem. And here was someone, perhaps, who could fix the problem. Anyway, so, so I said, I used to be fine, now I'm not. And then she said, how did you solve it? And I said, I found a faith-based solution, is what I said. I used kind of you know, slightly academic language. I, used, I found a faith-based solution. And she said, oh, what was that? What was that? So I told her what I told you, that I looked into it psychologically and found that fear had an entry point. And for me, the entry point was when I was at theological college and I was stuck in this bad turbulence and fear came in. And so I reckon if it came in, guess what? It can go out. If it, you know, what comes in can go out, can't it? It wasn't born scared of flying. And so I said, I took it to God. I, you know, I prayed uh, and, and, and the, the Lord's taken, you know, God, he's taken it away. I'm not scared, I'm not, I'm not scared of, of flying anymore. And she said, that's fascinating. That is a fascinating and I said to her, look, do you want me to pray for you that, that God will take the fear away? Now, bear in mind, she'd not become a Christian. She'd, this is before she'd become a Christian. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway, uh, she'd not become a Christian. So she said, yes. Yeah. So she, basically, this was a seat of three. I was sat on the window seat. There was a gap there. And Boggy was, was sat on the aisle, aisle seat. So I, I carry, carry my anointing oil around. And so I said, can I anoint you with oil? It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. It's a sign of healing. She said, yes. So I basically uh, made the sign of the cross on her forehead with the oil, a bit of a splash, uh, and I said, Jesus, you know, Jesus, whatever, take, take away the fear. She turned to me and she said, it's gone. It's, it's, got, it's gone. And now this was in the turbulence. Now you can understand, so it wasn't an abstraction. This wasn't, oh, we landed, we were in the, you know, in the coffee bar or something on terra firma. Uh, it wasn't that. This was at the turbulence, was, was still going like this. And she said, I feel peace. Peace, fruit of the spirit, the, the consequence of, of, of God in the life. I feel peace. I, she said, it's gone. She said, I, and this turbulence was going. She, she said, I can't believe it. It's gone. I feel peace. 
I said, there's more where that came from. That was, that was my response. There's more where that came from. Um, because remember I said yesterday, the Holy Spirit can touch you if you're not a believer, but he only lives within you if you're a Christian. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit who is with you shall be in you. God is sovereign. He can touch non-believers. And he does touch, touch non-believers. But he only comes to live within you if you give your life to Christ. So this is basically what I told her. There's more where that came from. Would you like to give your life to Jesus Christ? Blah, blah, blah. Shared the gospel. She said yes. Led her to Christ at 35 thousand feet this, this woman and she said I feel it again I feel this peace she said it's amazing I feel I feel this I feel this peace um God is alive um and well and still doing uh, still doing stuff in our world the point that I just made and it, this may be a one-point sermon it was basically it, it was finishing well it was finishing well it's important to finish well and the, the verse uh, that I'm going to read uh, to, to do with that was uh, verse uh, 16 um, and when I was preparing this this sermon verse 16 jumped out to me it says it said this then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go now for the first time it, it just jumped out at me then the 11 disciples who's missing Judas he did, he did, he did. someone didn't finish well I don't know I'd never he'd never it never jumped out at me before. It said then the 11 disciples um, went, not, not the 12. Judas wasn't there. Judas sadly took his own life. We know that. Judas sadly uh, didn't finish well. A good start does not guarantee a good ending. And this is, there were three points to this sermon. This is the one and only point now, so make the most of it. So basically, let's be a people who resolve to finish well. And we can only finish well by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't want to controversially get into reformed uh, theology, but uh, the P of Tulip, because uh, uh, Whitfield, who was the kind of uh, founder of this group of churches, uh, uh, was, a, was, a, was a Calvinist. And in, in, in Calvinist theology, there's an acronym called Tulip, uh, which stands for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And Simon is going to do a teaching series on the different points of Tulip. No, no, he's not. Sorry, don't, don't, don't. He's not going to be doing a teaching series. But the point is the P stands for the perseverance of the saints. So what Reformed theology believes is that those who are truly the Lord's will persevere. Those who are truly God's will carry on to the end and God will enable them to do it. That's the point. It's, it, it's not through gritting their teeth. It's, it's, through, um, it, it's, it's, it's through trusting God, God filling those people with the Holy Spirit so that they can uh, finish well. So my exhortation at the end of this weekend, and my exhortation, um, my exhortation, um, uh, as, you, as you go into this next season of your life as a Christian, and indeed your collective life as a church, is uh, that, you, that you, 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 you endeavour to finish well. You endeavour to finish well, to keep on keeping on, keep following Jesus, keep being unafraid to be his countercultural witnesses, uh, even when the world turns its back on the gospel and the Judeo-Christian worldview, we were thinking about that yesterday. Uh, make it your holy ambition to, to finish well. And recognise that you can only finish well in and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Only in and through the power of his empowering presence. When I was a curate, uh, I've been ordained now for... 26 years. Um, I was ordained at the age of 11. Uh, no, I was ordained at 20, 20, 27. Uh, I'm 50, 53. Um, 
uh, when I was a curate, I went, I went to a conference in Bristol. It was in, in Bristol, this conference. And there was, there was this kind of, um, there was this prophetic person at the conference. So I talked I talk yesterday about the Ephesians 4.11 ministries. He gave some to be apostles, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And I said, for what it's worth, I believe that the fivefold order of ministries for today and the church is, is dominated by a pastor-teacher cartel who've, dom- who've dominated the church. And I want to say, where are the evangelists? Where are the prophets? Where are the apostles? But anyway, that's a, another equally controversial sermon for a, diff- for a different time. But anyway, this guy was, was called Bryn. And Bryn um, was a West Countryman. Um, and, and Bryn uh, was a very interesting guy, this, this, this guy. Um, he, was, he, he operated within the Salt and Light group of churches. There's a group of churches called Salt and Light. And Bryn was from a, a working class background. He'd, he'd left school early. He'd not been to university. Uh, by his own admission, Bryn, Bryn just really wasn't academic at all. And yet he had this amazing prophetic gift. He had this amazing gift of, uh, this, this, this amazing gift of pr- prophecy. Now, um, you know, sometimes uh, a, a, a prophecy could be uh, to do with uh, the future. We know that from the New Testament, don't we? The prophecy of Agabus and the Acts of the Apostles. Um, this is thoroughly new covenant, not just old covenant. Um, sometimes it can be forthtelling, which is simply declaring the mind, the will of God for a situation or for a purpose. Sometimes it can be a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is where God gives you uh, a piece of knowledge uh, that you, wouldn't, you haven't learned. You don't know it. You, Humanly, um, Anyway, this guy operated in the word of knowledge. Anyway, I was at the conference. So now I was, I just got ordained. So I was 27, 27. Uh, and what, the way the guy did this is there was hundreds of people at the conference in the Bristol Marriott Hotel. And what he did is he, he just felt that he had a word for one or two people in the, in the congregation at the conference. And so he asked them, you know, basically to stand, stand up. And so he said, he said, so he pointed at me, I was a few rows back, and he said, young man, a young man with the blonder, he said. Now I'd, I had um, bleached blonde hair at the, to- at the time. It's been a bit of a phase. Uh, <coughs> so I had bleached blonde hair. So he said, young man with the blonder. So he said, stand up, stand up. So I looked around, obviously it was only me with the bleached blonde hair. So I, st- I stood up somewhat slightly embarrassed. And um, he basically, he said, he said lots of things, but this is, this is what he said. And bear in mind, I'm 27 um, at the time, and he said, um, he said, there's anointing on you. Anointing, he said, I'll spare you the, 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 uh, the uh, West Country accent. He said, there's anointing on you, he said, for evangelism, and there's anointing on you for youth. He said, I think God's going to give you the word of knowledge. It's a kind of prophetic word. He said, that's going to un- unlock situations, and he's going to give you the gifts of the Spirit to enable you in your evangelism. And then he said this, there have been struggles to move it, remove it. There's been struggles to remove the mark. You're marked with God. That's what he said. You're marked with God. And he said, there's been struggles to remove it. He said, but the, uh, the mark, uh, he, he said, you've been branded. You've been bra- you, it can't be removed because God has branded you. God, and God says, you're an arrow in my quiver and I'm going to shoot you out and send you to the nations, basically. So it's quite a, so now I know this prophecy because I got it on tape. You know, I got this tape, you know, those, those days. Oh, um, what's your name again? Okay, so a tape, it's like a, a piece of plastic and uh, it, if you used to put a pencil in. Yeah, yeah. You know, a tape. Yeah, no, 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 not a pencil. You put a pencil in and you used to have things called tape recorders. This, no, 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 tape. It. Doesn't matter, forget it. Okay, forget it. Okay, so, so tapes, someone will explain later to these young people what a, a tape is. So, uh, so I, got, I got the tape and this is why I, I know it. But do you know the amazing thing is anyone who knows, I didn't go around thinking, right, I'm going to fulfill this prophetic word 
But I now, I've gone, I go to, I, I preach all over the world. And I thought, I mean, to say that to a young, blonde-haired kid who was going to go to the nations, that was, I, I didn't configure. But also, the two hallmarks of my ministry, really, have been evangelism and working with young people. All my life, I've worked as a university chaplain, you know, whatever. All my work, life, I've worked with, with uh, young people. I mentor lots of people at the moment. Probably the average age is in the, people in their 30s. Still, 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 still pretty young. But so, so, this guy, it's like he'd read my email, you know, that kind of thing. It's like he'd read... My email. Now, am I saying the prophetic word is um, uh, equal to scripture? Absolutely not. The Bible is God's infallible word of God. Uh, make no mistake. Uh, the prophetic word, when we get it, it needs weighing and praying. So the Bible tells, tells us in the New Testament to weigh. So if you get a prophetic word, you weigh it, you weigh it and you pray it and, you, you, and feel free to discard it. Feel free to say, actually, that, you know, a bit of that made sense, a bit of it didn't. None of it made sense. Feel free to discard it. So God's word is infallible. God's word written is infallible. That's the scriptures. But nonetheless, God still uh, speaks uh, through, through the, the, prof- the prophetic. And that has been a, an, an incredible blessing, uh, an incredible blessing uh, to me. So, so as you seek to finish well, harness the power of God's Holy Spirit.